presidency is very different from what it was when our founders conceived the office. It has far more power today, uh, thanks to acts of Congress as well as presidential discretion. And, of course, the president presides over a gargantuan apparatus that's uh, so many times bigger than our founders perhaps ever anticipated. Uh, so it's, it's a very different job and probably beyond the capability of any one man to fully and, and properly manage. That's how big government has become. Was not, that was not the case in the day when uh, Thomas Jefferson came to office uh, decrying the size of the War Department because it had 40 people in it. The voice of Lawrence W. Reed, president of the Foundation for Economic Education. He was in town to speak as part of the Acton Lecture Series for 2014. His topic was American Presidents, the Best and the Worst. It's a provocative title to be sure, and when his lecture wrapped up, my colleague Paul Edwards caught up with him for just a few moments to ask a couple of additional questions on that topic. We've just heard your lecture on the best and worst of American presidents. Everybody has a subjective way of looking mm-hmm. at the president, and we all have our favorites probably, but is there an objective standard by which we can measure best and worst in our president? Well, I think so, and I think but you might be able to say there are two objective standards. Uh, I like to judge presidents, one, in terms of their personal character. There are a lot of ways to look at that. You know, were they honest? Were they uh, uh, forthright? Uh, did they do what they promised? Did they keep their promises? Did they... Um, uphold the Constitution they were swore to, sworn to uh, uphold, uh, and how do they treat other people? I mean, that's a personal matter, and generally speaking, presidents who are of sound and strong personal character tend to do better in the other area I would judge them on, and that's policy. Uh, I ob- objectively judge presidents on policy in terms of did they, uh, was the country freer when they left office or less free? Uh, was it more secure when they left office or less secure? Uh, uh, you know, if, if the answer is it was less free and less secure, then you'd have to say, well, that president uh, didn't do the job. Forty-three men have been president of the United States. In what ways do you think the presidency itself, the office, changes a man? It, during your lecture, you talked about Roosevelt running on one platform and really running as quickly from his platform as he could. Mm-hmm. Is there a sense in which the presidency brings a reality to the candidate that causes them to be different as a president than they may have liked to have been as a candidate? And then in a personal way, how does, it, how does the presidency change a man? One of the reasons our founders uh, wanted to keep government small is that they sensed that public office at almost any level changes a person over time and rarely for the better. Because a person may come in with solid character and and all the right uh, principles, but then he's buffeted by competing special interests, uh, by uh, the temptations of power that are so hard to resist. You really have to uh, have strong character and be willing to stick with it to withstand some of the pressures that any president or almost any public office holder faces. Uh, Rarely does public office make you a better person. It's unfortunate, but that's, uh, that's the nature of the beast. And so then how does the president, the man in the office, balance fulfilling his constitutional role with public opinion? And how has that aspect of the presidency evolved? George Washington, I don't think, was concerned about opinion polls mm-hmm. as much as he was right. fulfilling the, the functions, the constitutional obligations of his office. So how is the modern presidency affected by 
re-election facing an electorate uh, versus the character that says I've got to do what the Constitution calls for me to do regardless. Well, it presents a lot of temptations to a president, there's no question. Temptations to compromise, to cut corners, even to prevaricate from time to time. Uh, if not to outright uh, break uh, some of the rules that the Constitution lays down. Uh, I really think that uh, a person's character ultimately determines whether he's going to be a good and strong president or not, because it's character that will carry you through the day uh, and allow you to resist the temptations of power. The first thing a president needs to do when he takes office is to remind himself that he is sworn to uphold the Constitution. He's not sworn to uphold public opinion. Uh, Public opinion can change uh, at at the drop of a hat, and sometimes it's a mark of a true leader to himself set about to change public opinion. The presidency of Barack Obama, controversial. Uh, Conservatives and the Tea Party would would, uh, all be of one voice in decrying much of what he's done. Is that subjective, or is there an objective way that we can look at the presidency of Barack Obama uh, and in what, objectively, in what ways has this president changed the, the, the presidency? Well, there are very serious objective measures uh, about um, uh, maintaining constitutional uh, provisions and, and, and precedent that, that, that we should be considering here. We should be asking ourselves, has Barack Obama faithfully executed the office of president of the United States? Has he upheld the Constitution? And there are serious questions about that because of the endless rewriting by arbitrary whim of the president uh, of existing law, uh, Obamacare being the leading example. So, um, you know, a president should uphold the Constitution. When he thinks that the Constitution needs to be changed, uh, he should not try to do it unilaterally or underhandedly. And that, that goes for the laws that he's sworn to uphold. If he thinks that they should be changed, he shouldn't do it arbitrarily and underhandedly. He needs to go the proper constitutional route and go back to Congress. This president seems to get his, his understanding of the presidency from uh, the role played in the American president, where you have the, the actor saying, we've sent a bill to Congress. I didn't, I didn't know that presidents could originate bills. I thought Congress originated bills. But it seems like President Obama, relative to Obamacare, feels that this is his law, not the American law, and therefore at will he can change it. Yeah, that's right. That's a, a classic and the leading example of uh, this president sort of uh, taking uh, uh, ownership of the Constitution and uh, rewriting it as he sees fit. Uh, an existing law, too. You mentioned in your lecture today that you, you didn't view Obama as much of a manager. The presidency is more than the president. Yeah. Can you comment on what it takes for a man, for instance, what would the, be the, the resume of a man or woman if, if he had to apply for the job and, and actually be hired for the job? What would need to be on his or her resume? I think, first and foremost, you've got to have a proven track record at knowing how to find the best people for the job, how to hold them accountable, how to take responsibility when things don't go right, how to replace bad people when uh, when it's obvious they need to be replaced. In other words, to be a good manager. To be a good manager means uh, you don't just wind things up and walk away from it and give speeches about it. You've got to actively manage and uh, hold people accountable. Uh, he doesn't do that. Uh, even when, it, when the IRS goes off on its rogue missions, uh, he says there's not a smidgen of problem and no one is fired for it. 
uh, and Benghazi, I mean, on down the list, he doesn't seem uh, capable of either picking the right people in the first place or holding them accountable for, for their uh, judgments thereafter. And that's a sign of a poor manager. Is there any indication from history that the American presidency could eventually become a dictatorship, that a president could take to himself powers that, uh, that are not constitutionally aligned to him, and under the guise of for the welfare of the country, it might be best if we hold off an election and martial law? And Could that happen here? You could never rule that out. In fact, that's the way that most uh, democracies, and of course we're not quite a democracy, thankfully, we're a republic, but mm-hmm. to use that term in the loose fashion it's typically used, that's the way most democracies end up going. Uh, uh, other things become more important for the moment than preserving uh, constitutional norms and uh, respect for precedent. You get the right combination of uh, you know, uh, cataclysmic economic circumstances or foreign policy uh, crises. Uh, it's entirely conceivable that a president could arrogate to himself powers that the public might even support in a crisis. And then the question is, well, when the time comes, uh, when the crisis passes, will that power recede? Many times in history, uh, it's not receded. The government retains it, and there go your liberties. That's why people like Cicero in ancient Rome or Washington as our first president, opportunities, they had opportunities to be a dictator, they walked away from it because they knew other things were more important. You just have to hope that uh, if circumstances put you on that wrong path, that we'll get lucky enough that there'll be men and women of strong character who will resist the temptation for power. As you look at the history of the American presidency, what is its future and what is the implications then for the future of America? Are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic for the future of the country. That doesn't mean that, uh, uh, that we won't possibly have some tough times in the near term, but the long-term uh, future of this country I, I'm very optimistic for. A lot of things are going to have to happen for that to materialize, though. We've, we've got to have people come to their senses and realize that limitations on government power are critical to the maintenance of their liberties. You have to have Congress willing to stand up to the president and, and say, you know, you can't cross the line and arrogate to yourself powers you haven't got. You've got to faithfully execute the law. Uh, so there's a lot of things we have to do to preserve our liberties, but I'm optimistic that Americans will rally and... Uh, uh, will make, make things uh, better in the future. That was Lawrence Reed, president of the Foundation for Economic Education, speaking with Paul Edwards after his recent Acton Lecture Series address, American Presidents, the Best and the Worst. Thank you to Paul for uh, his work there. Thank you to Lawrence Reed for taking the time to talk to us. And, of course, thank you to you for taking the time to listen. This has been Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute. Radio.acton.org is the link for all of our podcast archives. And, of course, be sure to check out the Acton Power blog at blog.acton.org. My name is Mark Vandeross. It's been a pleasure to have you with us today. And thanks for listening to Radio Free Acton. Obama is a Democrat front runner. He puts our hearts and minds together to love and kiss for each other and vote for a new change. Read Obama, 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 yeah, the slammer.